Hello and welcome to the Ford Unto Dawn podcast. I'm David and I'm joined by my usual co-host Danny. Hello. And a special guest, uh, Toa Freak. Hey. Uh, why don't you introduce yourself, Toa, to people who may not be aware of your career? <laughs> uh, people not aware of me? Are you kidding? No. Hey there, guys. I am Toa Freak. I run the Halo Canon YouTube channel. Um, that's pretty much the only notable thing about me. So, yeah. And what is the Halo Canon channel? Explain right, it to us. That's a good idea. So essentially, um, it is a YouTube channel that focuses on the lore of Halo um, in its many different sources. Uh, you know, back in the day, I there were tons of. There's always been a lot of uh, Halo YouTube channels, but they usually been news or machinima or multiplayer driven in some manner. And I never really saw one that was that was dedicated not only dedicated to the lore, but at least in my opinion, got the lore quote-unquote right, you know, for lack of a better word there. That's uh, <laughs> a very pretentious word, I suppose, to use in my when describing oneself, but it's probably the best way I can get it. Basically, you know, I, got a, I saw a lot of people getting shit wrong um, and spreading around misinformation, especially stuff that was very easily, easily uh, verifiable in one form or another, so... Uh, started uh, started my own YouTube channel to try and uh, get the get the good word out. And we'll put a link in the show notes so people can check that out uh, on their own time. But we have brought Toa here to discuss some of the new uh, Halo book-related stuff that's come out. We're still waiting uh, until Halo Wars 2 for new game things. But in the meantime, 343 has been putting out a lot of book stuff, actually. We've got a, a bunch of new stuff uh, announced. And uh, recently we've had two big uh, releases. One is Halo Mythos. I guess you could describe it as sort of a successor to the Halo Encyclopedia, matched with an art book, matched with, I don't know, like bits of the Halo Story Bible. And then also uh, Halo Fractures, which is basically much more straightforward spiritual successor to Halo Evolutions, uh, which is a short story collection that uh, 343 put out early on in their uh, their career um, taking over for the Halo franchise. 2009, right? Or 2010? No, 2009. Yeah. It was uh, one of their very first uh, official works under the 343 moniker. Okay, so um, we're going to talk about both those things today. Can I just, uh, before we actually go into that, can I just say that uh, they've announced a new book, and this book in particular might resonate with a very particular slice of our of oh. our audience friends. It's uh, Halo Warfleet. Halo Warfleet. Oh my god, I'm guide so... to the spacecraft of Halo. I don't know if you guys have read any of the old Star Wars books, but the, one of the yeah. most awesome books is the cross-reference books. Uh, they, they basically deconstruct the technology of the ships, the Death Star. They do it for Star yep. Trek as well. Look at the uh, the inner workings and scales and just, just the... It's that's really how everything works. Yeah, yeah. How shit works. Yeah, I've been asking for that sort of thing for years. It's about damn time, and they're getting the guy who did those cross sections for Star for uh, Star Wars to do some of the ones in the the Halo books. So you know, it's going to be top quality work. Look for uh, incredible cross sections and those stuff, and you can see uh, what these things are. But are they going to do? They've said I think there's going to be ten. Uh, of the cross sections in there, and I, I, I really want them to do Pillar of Autumn just so they can try and actually pretend like the Warthog run fits in the Pillar of Autumn. <laughs> <laughs> Instead of, well, technically, I think uh, uh, Stephen Loftus did a, a great uh, examination going by the actual geometry. The Warthog run sticks out a kilometer out the side oh, of yeah. the Pillar of Autumn. It's perpendicular it to everything else. Yeah, it's um it's well I mean the, the, the run is three kilometers long and the Pillar of Autumn is one point one seven kilometers long. So I would be interested though if I'm sure the Pillar of Autumn will be in there. because uh, that's definitely like one that a lot of fans really want to see that whole uh hexagonal uh cross structure. I'm no I'm misusing words here, but you know what I mean. Uh, that, you know, essentially made it such a nearly indestructible hunk of metal at, during Halo CE. And I would love to see, like, how, maybe the, you know, what the canonical version of the Warthog run would have been, essentially. Um, and also along those lines, uh, so we've got uh, the Warfleet coming out, and we also, we'll talk about it later, uh, but we've got two 
new novels coming, uh, which tie into Halo Fractures. Uh, Actually, three. Oh, yeah, you're right. Three. Yep. Um, so there's, <laughs> we'll get into that more, but there is a crazy amount. I thought that Halo 2015 was going to be the, the big time of Halo stuff, but actually we're getting yeah. crazy amounts coming for everything else too, which is great. Very great. Yeah. So Halo Mythos, I guess you can say that it's, to me, it seems sort of like a peek in the story Bible because it illust- it's basically an illustration of things that we haven't generally haven't seen before um i'm pretty sure there's actually a quote somewhere that says that it does have information straight out of the story bible in some you know to some degree why would it not that's exactly what you expect of this kind of product yeah exactly so and it's also it's also interesting because it's it's unlike the halo encyclopedia it's done much more i guess you would say it's more lore focused um they yeah. They they say it marks the first time the book incorporates the entirety of the Halo canon. It's yeah, it's literally a telling from the the Forerunner Precursor Wars all the way up to the end of Halo Five, or more accurately, the very beginning, or the even uh, just before Halo Wars Two. And it's not not only what's interesting about that. At least I found this very interesting. Obviously, the real world reason why it stops there is because they don't want to spoil anything. But there's also an actual in-universe reason for that, because a very cool thing they did with Mythos, and they've done this with a few other uh, Halo media, Halo Mythos is an in-universe artifact. It is a account put together by an AI called Curator. He was a human AI sent out to the Ark with the Rubicon, so if anyone knows about some of this uh, pre-Halo 4 material, that the 11th Hour reports, they talked about this ship, the UNSC Rubicon, which was sent out to the Ark uh, to because of some signal that Oni detected, and basically it went missing after that. So Curator was stuck there, it can't interact with the galaxy, but apparently the, the records of the Ark are very in-depth about Forerunner history, and in, Mythos is his work. Yeah, it's definitely... Um, I think that's that's really... I think one of the signature stylistic elements that I think 343 has cultivated is with the 11th Hour reports, with um, Catalog, with Curator, um, and Halo Mythos, that they they do spend a lot of time giving information in a in-universe standpoint, uh, even if it's outside of the the main media, which I appreciate. You can also be cynical and say that it it makes it a lot harder. it's fun for fans to argue about. And then if something gets changed <laughs> later on, they can just say, well, th- that was only that character telling you that. Um, maybe, maybe yeah, not. It d- well, I mean, it does create some, uh, a- a- an easy out for if things do need to be changed. Like they did that with Halo. Le- they had that with uh, the Halo legends origins one and two, where it's like, here's Cortana's interpretation of the history of the forerunners, not necessarily the official version. So gave them a lot, you know, they could show off a lot of stuff at that one point in time, but weren't necessarily uh, tied down to any of the visuals shown or any of the specific story elements presented. It's fun for fans, but it also works well for 343 and from a storytelling standpoint. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Well, so I, sadly, uh, because I have no space in my New York apartment, so I can't buy physical books anymore. It makes me sad. I have not actually uh, gone through Mythos myself, aside from seeing uh, the stuff that got leaked online. But uh, Danny and Toa, you both have the books, so what are your overall thoughts on it? Well, I'll say this. I absolutely love this book. Um, When I first, like, when he first heard heard it announced, obviously there was a lot of hype about that. Uh, When they said it was this chronological telling of of the... Halo universe, that seemed like a really cool direction to go. But when I saw it, because it's actually like, it's maybe half the size, more or less, in terms of pages, uh, compared to the Halo Encyclopedia, and that has a shit ton of information, even if there's a shit ton of wrong information in there. Um, I, I was initially worried when I first saw the actual size of the book, but after reading it, for as general an overview as it presents... There is a lot. There is a surprising amount of very specific and enlightening information for even the most lore savvy of Halo fans. 
Yeah, for sure. I the one thing I really appreciated was the fact that they fleshed out some parts of the of the of the lore that really really didn't need additional fleshing out, but it, it works for our benefit. All the oh, yeah. all the prehistory essentially for humanity between essentially what's what's right now and what our future is in terms of the in terms of the games. Like the rainforest wars and just I just like that they, they dug into that a little bit. We got some visuals yeah. for some of that stuff. The thing is, they lack content, and the fact that they they done something for it means a lot more to me as a fan than a million Master Chief collections. You know what I mean? Oh yes, absolutely. So that that's what I appreciated the most: the fact that there's little snippets in there that don't need to be in there. They don't really do anything for the average fan, but for the people that care, they're they're entirely more meaningful than anything else. Oh yes. Actually getting to see like some of that early stuff was just amazing. Seeing the early even seeing the early years, like the twenty fifth century years of the insurrection or early twenty sixth, like pre Spartan was pretty cool as well. Yeah, for sure. It's it's not relevant to Halo six or five or Halo Wars two, but the fact yeah. that it's in there. Yeah, and I definitely know that the Rainforest Wars fans are a, a very tiny <laughs> but hardcore oh, yes. lore group. The people who hung yeah. on that, like, what, basically, like, a paragraph in the official Xbox timeline years ago. Yeah, yeah, it's mentioned in there. I think uh, I think Fall of Reach, it was, actually had, like, one of Mendez's favorite books, I think it was, was, like, something about the, it was, like, a soldier's tale about the, ra- I think it was called, uh, about the Rainforest War. I might be wrong about which one it was, but I know that was, it was, like, this one throwaway line about, the, you know, this really ancient... Yeah, at least in terms of the Halo universe war, and uh, you know, ever since then, I've been wanting to been wanting to read about that. And yeah, then like you said, the 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 Xbox dot com timeline from two thousand one, where they talk about you know Mar the Mars campaign, the first time they are using what essentially would become the ODSTs, and it's like I want that game. I want to play as those uh is those you know early ODSTs dropping over on. Mar- Dropping over Mars to take on uh, the fascists and the communists, essentially. Cool. Anything else about Halo Mythos we want to talk about before we go into the Halo Fractures? The closest, the one thing I wouldn't mind bringing up is, and this is cool from a story element point of view, is the whole uh, the guy, the AI curator. Going back to him briefly, he talks about at one point the he can like feel the created out in the galaxy and. He talks about like, you know what, for once I'm thankful I can't interact with anyone because I don't want to get, you know, those, the I don't like the created, they're kind of assholes. So, little hope that not every AI is jo- is like just wholeheartedly joining Cortana, so. Yeah, and it also, he's a different kind of AI than I think we've gotten for the UNSC because it basically seems like his entire role is to, he's going to be on the arc until he dies, basically. He's just... I guess well, mythos, mythos basically ends with him uh, initiating final dispensation, or at least preparing to. So yeah, and his, by the time Spirit of Fire is like rolling in, he's going to be he's gone, gone. Sadly, yeah. But and he, that's even at his best situation, he would just be well. I'm just going to be here cataloging things until they go crazy, and then I guess they'll well, replace me because there's going to be way more than seven years of stuff to <laughs> organize yeah, here. Like Ten thousand years, actually. So he could have kept at it by the end. He would have been done by the time Master Chief and Blue Team were woken up. Had Cortana's plan gone off without a hitch. <laughs> so moving on to Halo Fractures. Uh, this came out uh, September 20th, um, a little after uh, Mythos. Um, and it, like I said before, it's really a successor to Halo Evolutions in that it's a bunch of short stories um, by a bunch of different writers. There's a, many who have been uh, previous Halo authors. There's Frank O'Connor, um, Brian Reed, Joe Staten, uh, Tobias Buckel. I forget how to say his name. Is it Buckel or... I've always, I've always said Buckle, but I've never heard an official pronunciation. But it's uh, a bunch of uh, people you've already heard from in the Halo universe, Matt Forbeck, Troy Denning, and then uh, a bunch of new people as well. Um, and I guess before we'll go into each of the stories, but overall, what are your guys' thoughts and impressions? You know what? I was I was disappointed with the collection on the basis that I was expecting it to be a collection of stories like like Halo Evolutions. Um, all the Halo Evolution stories 
it seems could stand on their own. They were they were self-contained, little awesome stories. Uh, I felt this collection, as good as it is, by the way. I'm not. This is not critique on on the quality of the writing, for the most part. Um, but I felt as if you needed to be clued in on a lot of different lore nuggets and books and stories to even get these characters because they're all like little continuations of other things that, like that happened. Yeah, so it's like if you're a new reader and someone gave you this, this this book would be significantly less relevant or interesting to you. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. As it's uh it's something that definitely requires some knowledge, uh, some F, some foreknowledge, or at the very least, you're going to be better off if you have some foreknowledge about it. Um, like even that, even some of the, a lot of the stories, I still think like they don't rely too much on the on what came before. In that, it, it's more like you'll be better off knowing about it. Like let's look at Matt Forbeck's le- uh, lesson learned. I think it was at the very beginning. Uh, you know where it's it it picks up in the middle of Halo New Blood. Now you're going to be a lot, you know, it'll be a richer story if you already know about that or if you, and if you've already read Ghost of Onyx and uh Halo Glasslands. So it's a much richer story in that regard. But at the same time, I think they leave it there's enough extra explanation in there that a more casual fan could probably read it and rather than being utterly confused and nothing else they'll be like hmm i wonder what's going on here let me go see let me see if i can find out and be intrigued to find either in the case of that particular story let you know the sequel to it which is coming out next year or uh looking into the halo lore a little further so i definitely agree with uh, what danny said but at the same time it's like i can get you know it's kind of a mixed bag is what i'm trying to get at it seems like uh Really, it's you need to know that the human, that humanity and covenant fought at one point, and you need to have played Halo Five, I think, and that's a little bit about. It, it depends on each story. Like I do appreciate that one. they, um, yeah. they, as opposed to uh, Halo Evolutions, each story has a a preface that gives the timeline and some basic background details. Oh yes, that's something I absolutely loved. Um so while it jumps around it tells you this takes place during the end of the Covenant War or this takes place several years after this takes place or this place stays in the middle of this book. Yeah. Like I I think I think Lesson Learns actually does reference New Blood. Um and I know the Christy Golden story um which is a follow-up to the Forerunner saga directly names those books or at least names the saga. So at least if you have no idea what's going on, and that's actually that's a particular story I've heard from the casual be- fans that are either casual fans or fans that just never got around to the Forerunner saga, said they were utterly confused about what was going on. So <laughs> yeah, it, to it's Danny's it's, point <laughs> it's, earlier. I mean, that's kind of the problem with any sprawling universe is that you can't yeah. you can't babyfy it enough that people can slip in easily. Not that babyfying that makes it sound bad, but you just. Keep, it's it's hard to do, and so this seems like kind of like the seems sort of the uh, concession along the lines of in old seventies, sixties, and seventies comics, they would have the little asterisks, and then by the way, this happened in issue fifteen of the Amazing Spider-Man. Um, yeah. So it's, it's a way to probably make sure you aren't as lost, and that you can sort of figure it out, backfill your information if you want to later on, which is helpful (laughs) can i just say as well one thing i want to point out for all the all the content of the book and uh i'm sure we have some interesting things to say about some of the other stuff but the ballad of hamish beamish was a self-masturbatory waste of time that i really did not like Oh, I, mean, I love that. Come on. No, seriously. No, 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 no. It was pointless. Because people had been asking for it. People wanted to know. It added nothing. And it shouldn't have been printed. He br- he put it in there because fans had been asking. They wanted to know about Hamish Beamish. I wanted to. Like, I wanted that, that story. And I think the ballad was the best way to do it. God, no. <laughs> we learned that. Waste of everyone's time. Danny does not like lyrics. I don't know. It's it's. I definitely had a different reaction to it because even though I knew it was going to be in it, it was so. It's sort of this collection's odd one out, in that it's 
bizarre and doesn't tie into anything else. I I didn't I I understand your point, Danny. However, I disagree that it, with it in such strident terms. <laughs> Again, like everyone's entitled to their opinion, but at least from what I've seen, it's been a largely well-received particular piece of fiction. But I can understand where Danny's coming from. At least I was I will say I, I I really respect Frank as a as a writer. I I really like what he does, and I was expecting something new from him, and I got that. Just made me kind of angry. Well, to be fair, he had already written out Saint's uh, Saint's testimony, so I, I don't really, I don't, I don't kind of copy and paste in an existing title like they did with that and Shadow of Intent into the book The Flash Start to be a welcome addition to this collection. What I would have loved to see originally is if they had taken, um, I think it was New Blood was the other digital one, but yeah, so yeah, New Blood, Saint's testimony, and then Shadow of Intent as its own mini collection in addition to fractures but at least they got it in print which is what i'm thankful for in the regard for those two stories um the last thing i'll say before we get into the stories it, to danny's point about halo, uh, the comparison to halo evolutions halo evolutions is definitely like overall i think it's a better collection because as you said it's a bunch of these standalone stories and even better it's these complete stories a lot of the the stories and fractures are like prologues. Some of them actually lit like entirely literally again, because I keep coming back to it. Lesson learned is a prologue to halo legacy of Onyx, which is coming out in April of next year. Um, into the fire is a prologue. I don't, I think the sequel is called like smoke and smoke and shadow. Um, but you know, that's another one. It's a prologue, but at least in the case of into the, into fire, that was actually pretty damn good for what it was. And it's not, you know, I'm not saying this as a slight to those stories per se, but yeah, it, I would dock some points just a little bit from from uh, fractures for that. Still good though, still absolutely good. Yeah. All right, so let's go through starting with lessons learned. Um, that's by Matt Forbeck, who wrote uh, the novella New Blood before, and he's writing Halo Legacy of Onyx. So as we talked about, this ties into that. Uh, and it follows the uh, Spartan Threes, Lucy and Tom, after their service with Blue Team. And it picks up right in the middle of New Blood, and it ties into Halo Glasslands as they end up on the giant shield world, uh, Trevelyan, which... I think you mean in it? Oh, yeah, sorry, sorry. In it. <laughs> and yeah, this actually surprised me because after... It's got to be, what, four or five years now, Danny? They They deal with the how the whole shield world can pop into existence without destroying the entire solar system. Oh yeah. In real world. Yeah. It's been, I think that was like 2011. Onyx is the elephant in the room <laughs> on the Halo franchise, because if you take that thing by itself, what that is, this, the hyperstructure, because it's not a structure, It's a hyperstructure. It's the size of a solar system. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's, it's the it's greatest the thing. No one, <laughs> yeah, it's the greatest technological entity, achievement, object thing that we'll ever, ever come across in Halo. Yeah. The way narratively the thing's treated, it's treated like Area 51. It's just, oh yeah, let's go to Area 51, do our wee secret experiments. You know what I mean? It's treated like it's, it's just a wee base that we do things on in secrets. It's like, this is the greatest technological discovery of ever. You know what I mean? Like, there's yeah. nothing in the whole galaxy that touches this. We should be fighting over this damn thing. The fact that it's just sitting there, and sometimes we use it for stories, sometimes we don't. Depends what? who at who at three for three remembers it exists. You know what I mean? <laughs> so I'm yeah. glad we're getting a book about the legacy yeah, of Onyx. I'm glad we got the story. That. Like Hill five and six and seven and four are completely irrelevant to this thing. You know what I mean? <laughs> I can't understand it. This thing should be the most important thing in the Halo universe right now. I know some fans, especially in the wake of this story, were saying there's been this whole craze about go potentially going back to Reach right now. A bunch, there's a small group of fans who are saying, you know what? Let's go to Trevelyan uh, because this thing is massive, as you said, and God knows the the secrets that it contains. To be fair to the UNSC, I think that the fact that it doesn't apparently destroy all sentient life puts it down a few rungs on the research ladder. <laughs> does it got... kill us? No. Well, it's not that important. <laughs> it does have the entire Forerunner fleet there, doesn't it? It has like its own fleet, as far as I remember. 
The Tesla. Yeah, yeah. It, it did have a, a whole lot of Forerunner tech. Hundreds uh, of thousands of ships. Yeah, the yeah. engines for Infinity came from Trevelyan. Well, and I'm hopeful that, well, with uh, Legacy of Onyx, they'll dip into exactly why no one was there. I mean, admittedly, there could be Forerunners on it, for all we know, because it's so huge, and it just could take us years to find them, basically. Uh, but hopefully the the book, the follow-up goes into that. But the thing is, right, if you, if you look at the scale of this thing, and imagine there's a massive human migration, right, and we put millions of people going there every month, even, it, we couldn't fill that thing. I think at the height of humanity's po- like it, humanity's highest population, just prior to the Covenant War, I don't think you could have fit, I, or you could have put the entire human population in there, and you'd you probably wouldn't even take up even a small percentage of its total space. Why don't we just put ourselves there as a backup little seed of humanity in case we get f***ed over again? Because we're always getting f***ed over by something in Halo. I mean, to some degree, we kind of are with the with the. Uh, the fact that there's an operation set up there, uh, you know, theoretically can always be shifted back into slip space. Yeah, that's our backup, essentially. You know, what I mean, yeah. in case the Covenant two, the Covenant two or Covenant three, whatever the hell they are, <laughs> come and wipe us out again or whatever. Well, just Covenant take two, Earth. Electric Boogaloo. Just take Earth this time. We got somewhere better. It's bigger than Earth. It's better. Just take Earth. Go on. You know what I mean? <laughs> they they do have the uh, added little details that uh, Mendez is there. Um, and the Spartan 3s are going to be assigned there, and they've basically got a uh, Sanghili uh, human alliance kind of going on in there, like a joint um, joint operation, uh, which is kind of interesting, and I'm sure they don't know about, oh yeah, and we were also researching biological weapons to use on you guys over there, but don't pay attention <laughs> to that. Um, yeah. We get confirmation that Spartan 3s are wearing Mjolnir, so... If anyone was curious, because I know that comes up on our Halo story every now and then. Yeah, um, so. and we get a, a cool uh, zero-G uh, action sequence at the beginning. Other than that, I think it's it's pretty straightforward. It's not yeah. it's not bad, not not amazing. It's it's yeah. definitely it's, setting it's things up. It's a nice setup. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, uh, and then the next story is what remains, uh, and this follows uh, this I love a character. Um, Evelyn Collins, who was briefly in the uh, Halo 5 Intel, um, and then she's a radio message um, on Meridian during the campaign. And it's basically a short story written by Morgan Lockhart um, following... Narrative director for Halo uh, for the Halo franchise, by, if anyone's curious. So she's a 343 employee, and she did a really good job on this one, in my opinion. Well, so it basically follows um, Evelyn Collins after she sends this this doomed message when the Guardian takes off and she and a few people are left behind um honestly i didn't like this as much as i thought i would blasphemy because i think that the addition of mission intel was basically the best thing that halo 5 added because i am a huge fan of bioshock and despite the fact that i find the gameplay actually really tedious and annoying and finicky um but I always love that you could explore and find these little clues onto like the everyman and just these little side stories are playing out even when you were doing other things. And so I really like that the mission Intel added that. And the only thing is this story to me didn't add anything to Evelyn's story that I thought was worth the time almost. Oh, what did you think Toa? I, like I said, I, I loved it. I thought it was fan. It was great. I loved following up on Evelyn Collins and Meridian in general, I loved seeing uh, Evelyn's experience as a survivor of the original Glassingham Meridian play into, you know, this story. You know, she meets up with these other survivors, some of who are pretty gravely injured. And they're like, look, we just got to heal up and hope that rescue comes. And Evelyn's like, no, guys, that's not how it works. We have to actually make an effort or no one's going to come looking for us, especially these days. Because nobody, you know, being Dortmund doesn't care, doesn't really care about us, and the UNSC probably won't either. And she doesn't say that, but you get what I, you get what I mean. So, personally, I really enjoyed it. Uh, I liked seeing that um, her colony expertise coming into play and all that jazz. I guess what uh, what I didn't like about it was just the ending, in that we get some character beats, and then. They send out a signal, and Cortana says, "Okay, cool." And, yeah, I like that. Like, and 
I can understand that it's like there's no real character development for them, but I like I like the idea at the very end that Cortana reaches out and says, "Meridian, we're on our way." Yada yada. And of course, you don't know if that's actually good or not. There's no there's no character development. There's no story development. They're trapped in in the crap. They look for a signal thingy. They get the signal thingy. That's it. I mean, yeah, at its base, that's what it is. It's 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 really just like if you liked that character um, from the intel from that final message, and you were curious about her, you'll enjoy this. If you wanted something much more, yeah, it's it's skippable in that regard. I personally loved it. To be honest, if you give me like a two sentence description of the story instead of the story, I would have been happier. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Next story. Um, next story is Breaking Strain, um, and this is set during the end of the Covenant War. Um, this was another one I really loved. Yeah, written by James Swallow, who I know nothing about. Um, and it's it's definitely a, a different story, which I appreciated, um, but it's a shipwrecked UNSC vessel that's basically in this sort of quasi-standoff with the uh, colonists of the ship of the place they crashed into yeah um, losing hand was the name of the colony and the fact that covenant ship is actually coming and nobody knows exactly what's going to happen i have to agree by the way one of the best stories in the in the collection that was really good this was actually the only one that i think giving us the time frame cheated us a bit because we knew that chances were the covenant ship was going to be friendly whereas if we hadn't had that preface telling us when this was set who wouldn't have known that? Yeah, that's a fi- that's definitely a fair criticism I hadn't considered. But the actual stuff is interesting. We get the the protagonist is this UNSC officer who basically rose up the ranks because everyone else died, and he's yep. dealing with the fact that he's basically bluffing them. The ship is way worse than the colonists realize, but that's the only thing that's stopping them from possibly killing all the UNSC people. Uh, and then he's got a Spartan, which they're all afraid of, but he's actually AWOL. Yeah. Um, and actually, that was the I think the most interesting in terms of fictional tidbits is that the uh, the Spartan three. It sounded like he might have been basically one of those teams that you see at the end of Lone Wolf, and he was one of the guys who escaped, whereas all his buddies died. Yeah. Or he's like one of us, Gauntlet Red or Echo from that are mentioned at the very end of New Alexandria. Yeah, you don't so. get much beyond the fact that. He's obviously screwed up, but he's still yeah. he's still a Spartan, so he shows up uh, when he needs to. And it turns out when the Covenant ship arrives, it's actually, hey, guys, we're actually friends now. It's all cool, and we can evacuate you. And um, yeah. But our UNSC officer decides to stay behind and find— Because he found some hot outer colony— <laughs> <laughs> Yep. Love on the edge of the frontier— this was this was a more self-contained story that I thought was fun. It was a different angle we get. We've gotten a lot, especially in the Kilo 5 trilogy, of what it's like for a lot of these um, colonists who were left behind. But I think this was a much more focused and thus much more interesting um, take on that just because we had we had the villain who is a dick, but you understand why. Um, and you, you get to see both sides of the UNSC and the colonists, and they're both right, or they both have the reasons for being how they are. Yeah. Um, and that that's just they can't get along. And unfortunately, <laughs> well, fortunately for them, that a ship was going to come out of the sky and luckily stop everything before it got really nasty. But yeah, it was a, it was a self one of the self contained stories of the collection, and I really liked it as well. Amen. Uh, and then after uh, Breaking Strain comes Promises to Keep, uh, and this, uh, written by Christy Golden. Oh, this was one of my favorites. Really? Oh, yeah. It's mm. – we'll get into that, Danny. Uh, it's uh, basically a sequel to the Forerunner trilogy, and it's basically after everything in Silentium, after all the bonus stuff that came with Silentium – um, after the trial of Mendicant Bias, uh, basically the Isodidact and company are just floating around deciding what they're going to do. And so we get a bit of an answer, sort of, um, into how the domain gets fixed, as well as an end fate for a few more of the characters from the Forerunner saga. So I guess we'll start with you, Danny. What did you think about this? I think this um, this story typifies... And exemplifies how uh, 
how a lot of people see the difference between Thief or 3 and Bungie, actually, <laughs> believe it or not, because uh, the way the Forerunner trilogy ended, there were a lot of open-ended things there that uh, they didn't go into much detail about, because it kept a sense of, of mystery about a number of elements. We didn't need to know how the domain restarted. We didn't need to know any of this stuff. We didn't need... A, 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 well, here's a little minor story featuring these characters afterwards. Yeah, because people wanted to know about it. Yeah, yeah but people wanted to know more about the Forerunners, and then they did that, yeah. and then they turned them into... It was, into, it was no. great. But as a franchise develops, you can't just leave those mysteries alone. You have to... There was no out. reason to explore yes, there this. Was. There was no reason Absolutely to was. introduce people this. We needed to know about why the domain was still around. No, you did not. They no, said you it was going to be destroyed. It. We needed to know that. No, you didn't. This will not change how you viewed it. This will it not does. change how you view yes, Halo 6 does. either. It, it really it doesn't. For me. It's completely unnecessary. You take the mystery no, and you ruin it with, with a bad story. Because they've done this before. They'll introduce these things that either seem big or very small in the grand scheme, and then they end up paying off years later. Oh, but that's that's because they bring it up just because they wanted to have an option on the table, and they've no intention of following through. You can't, they, like I said, what happened with Guilty Spark and the Librarian? Don't tell me their master plan was to wait for five years or so until they actually explained that. Maybe not originally, but once they have, once the Reclaimer so- trilogy became a Reclaimer saga, they suddenly had more opportunities to do a lot more. But the thing is, this is a lot of a lot of hope and aspiration that you're putting on to yeah, a piece based of on, unnecessary based story. On, that's... Based on past experience with this kind of stuff. And even if they never followed up on any of this stuff presented in Promises, Promises to Keep, I still absolutely love the story. I loved getting a follow-up on that. I loved going back to Maithrillion and learning what the hell the Organon is and about Abaddon. I wanted that. It's an unnecessary little thing that they introduced and will never have a payoff because there's no need to introduce it. This is not a story that needed to be told. It absolutely did. I'm sorry. I have to I have to disagree on a fundamental level. If it was that important, they wouldn't have just chucked it into something like this. They didn't chug it in. It was one of the longer stories in there. This is not, this is how I feel. <laughs> By the way, I don't actually think that you're wrong. But uh this is this seems like this to me. It seems like it's Guilty Spark and Librarian all over again. It seems like they fleshed out something that no one, no one should have been asking about. We didn't need to have every single mystery colored in because Not every single mystery. Whenever you don't have mysteries anymore, whenever the the whole universe is just this black and white, it's not it's not fun. It's not exciting. Yeah, because that's what real alien races would be like. They they're. Especially in a universe like Halo, they're going to be stupid, they're going to make mistakes, they're just as flawed as the rest of us, they're not gods. Yeah, and that's that's why I think this story was really about, honestly, because even if you, I mean, because the whole uh, stuff with the domain is basically, something happens, we go there, and we fix a key, someone dies, but everything gets set, and we're hopeful that it works out. But I don't think that's even really the point, it's that it's much more about dealing with what's it like for these characters they're basically the last of their race they have to deal with the fact that they've destroyed everything but that's the thing if it was a story just about those characters dealing with the fallout of the events from the forerunner trilogy i really would have liked that but it's, it's just it's not relevant and it's just well technically the precursors are just a species that were made that were really human and made their own mistakes you know what i'm saying yeah and they did yeah, but stop that! There's still plenty of mystery. How did they have a hundred billion years worth of knowledge, for example? Because there's a lot of there's a lot of mystery on the table for the precursors right now, and it's a lot of fun not only making those theories and but later on either getting them confirmed or denied. But it, it, it takes it further and further away from relevance. You know what I mean? The, we've built up the story to to where it is, and I keep going back and. We don't need to keep going back for these precursor stuff. We don't really need to go back. And I'm just saying we have a universe, a literal universe full of interesting new content that we could tap into at any time. New alien races, new technologies, new, 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 new that you could do. Multiple dimensions, time travel. You have all these conveyances of sci-fi. And they just keep rehashing the same old shit. And just, man, there's some mysteries. What, what, what mysteries can we color in today to sell this shit? Rather than just doing some new content, new stories, new anything's. 
it just feels like they're rehashing and filling in the blanks that no one really needed to be filled in instead of taking the opportunity to do new stuff. Like I said, even with even with the story, I, I would have loved to have seen the story just being about people looking at their own decisions. The forerunners in their in their dying state, as it were, just taking a look back at what they could have done wrong or right or or do a social commentary on their on themselves or anything, but no, 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 no. There's always a MacGuffin. I mean, I would then you get into the point about how sci-fi is basically all about setting up MacGuffins to explore character stuff. <laughs> That's basically the point of sci-fi. It's to explore the human condition through yada yada yada. So I think that it's it's there for a reason, and I don't think it's necessarily destroying any inherent. I mean, the whole point of mysteries is that they can, they're only interesting because you put stuff into them. And that if you color them in, they're never going to be the exact same way that you personally thought they would go. But that doesn't necessarily mean they're bad. Do you, do you want to take a bet on we'll whether we'll see a Biden ever again? Because. Yeah, I'll, I'll make a bet on that. I will okay, bet too. Okay, I'll, 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 take, I'll take you up on that, right? Okay, yes, yeah, so. <laughs> Divided opinions. <laughs> Uh, next is Shadow Intent, which uh, we covered on a previous podcast. Joe Staten returns. Exciting. I really, I really like combat. that story. Yeah. Solid story. story. Yeah. Then we have The Ballad of Hamish Beamish, which apparently there are opinions on. <laughs> Divided opinions. <laughs> and then we get to, uh, I think personally, this is my favorite, Defender of the Storm. Defender of the Storm was really good. It had no right to be that good, to be fair. It had no right to be that good. Uh, I, I didn't want to enjoy the story, knowing I the flat loved, outline of it, but yeah, God, was it good. I loved it. It, it really brought, to, for me, it brought back that fear of the flood that, in a way that I hadn't felt probably since uh, Mona Lisa from Halo Evolutions. So, yeah, good, good on the author there. I think that was that uh, John, Jackson John Jackson Miller, Miller? who uh, yeah, I thought so. Yeah, who's apparently done some Star Wars stuff, which I've never read. Yeah, he's done Star Wars. I think he's done Star Trek as well. Uh, a couple other sci-fi universes. He's done some really good work overall. Yeah, um, I think I think when I was talking about this on Halo Archive and Halo um I described it as sort of uh, the lower decks of Halo. Um, yeah. Because there's a Star Trek The Next Generation episode, Lower Decks, where for one episode, you see things not through the command crew of this star, the flagship, but just the junior officers who are wondering what the hell's going on. And that's really what this feels like. You have a low-ranked foreigner who doesn't know what's going on with the rest of the war that we've seen from... Basically been forgotten by the universe. Yeah, and she's like, well, he's not... And he's not even a great foreigner. He's kind of the average guy who's been left here because he's not even worth shipping off to fight the Flood. But it turns out that he's actually got a job and he puts himself to use on this... Uh, this He's on a remote... Gas mine. Yeah, gas mine, which I wasn't actually... Is it supposed to be like the gas mine above Threshold? Or was no, it... that, uh, those are – I think the gas mine in Threshold was actually mining the gas <clears> – <throat> actually mining the gas from the atmosphere, whereas the one in Defender of the Storm was harvesting exotic particles that helped power ships, um, Forerunner ships. Okay, yeah. So. But I could be wrong about that. I think so. so. I think it's just in my mind I was really trying to set it on that because then I had a frame of reference for where everything was. Yeah. Um, but as it turns out, it's not actually ex harvesting exotic particles at all. It's um, basically the foreigner, adequate observer. He's even got the most pedestrian name of every foreigner we've ever heard. Yep. He realizes that they're actually um, uh, uh, sentient species in this gas giant and that if the flood found them, it would be really bad. Uh, and so when a, the flood uh, breaks out on his station, he sort of has to go on this one-man uh, crusade uh, with his trusty AI companion, a familiar setup to Halo. Um, but it's just a it's a self-contained story. It has twists and turns. It gives you a perspective I don't think we'll regularly ever get. Like you said, there's a few um, short stories we've gotten with the human side, but... My favorite aspect of this story is how the Flood actually gets on the station, because user the Eld on uh, Reddit really put it... really put it well. They get in there basically through the the waste, pro the, wa um, the forerunner waste, 
So, you know, people always said that uh, the flood kind of looked like little walking pieces of shit. In this case, it's literal. <laughs> yes. It's poo monsters all the way down. What I really enjoyed was the fact that they didn't focus too much on the how and why of the flood. Yeah. It was just a threat. And the fact that we're put into the shoes of a forerunner yeah. and being absolutely helpless, I thought that was really good, you know, because we've kind of put this light on the forerunners about their technology and, you know, I mean, as them as a, as a people. But they see this, this one guy just being absolutely scared. And not even knowing what's going on, too, because he thinks the station's for one thing, and we find out it's not exactly what he thought it was as well. And it all literally crumbles down around him. And even the big brave warriors that he kind of admires in terms of their, their prowess and fighting and, and battle. And they, they fall around him. That's interesting, I thought. Yeah, and, it, and it's also interesting that the story sort of ends with, if it were another, if it were a Master Chief, if it were a main character, it would be a bad ending. But for him, it's, he gets what he wants, basically, which I thought was yeah. a nice inversion as well. Yep, yep. All right. Okay. Uh, and then next is A Necessary Truth, and this is uh, written by Troy Denning, and so it's a sequel to his uh, Last Light. Um, so it follows the characters from that uh, ferret team. So it's the Spartan Threes, Ash, Olivia, and Mark, uh, with their handler, Veda Lopez, and they're on a training exercise that goes awry, as training exercises in fiction always do. Yep. Um, this one, this one, I think threads the needle for me in feeling self-contained versus feeling as it's just a bridge to something else. Yeah. It was very much, it was like a nice, it could be very self-contained. It wouldn't necessarily need any follow-up, but it was also, you know, it was a nice follow-up to Last Light, uh, for that, for those particular characters. And I really hope that Troy Denning gets to come back again, that he gets to, uh, do more with these particular characters because they're they're a lot of fun i have to say i i enjoyed seeing them do work together i i didn't think until i read this that i would find awkward spartan flirting as interesting and engaging as it was <laughs> but just the whole the the whole early sequence where all the spartans are trying to be undercover and working through this training exercise yeah. was it was light and enjoyable and just fun to spend time with these characters and you get uh and it's just that's something, especially in Halo, when everything's giant space weapons of destruction, you don't often get those character moments. Mm. You know, I, I I really didn't like Last Light that much, but I really liked this story. I liked the premise, the setup. I liked the weak character moments. I like I like Ferret Team. I don't know. I I like that a lot more than Last Light. So I also appreciate that they don't, especially with um, who's the one who constantly goes crazy, Mark, that they aren't squeaky clean um that he they kind of do point out that yeah like i did he kind of murdered the guy yeah, yeah shit. like uh, and i did oh well it, i did think he was a serial killer and there's reasons for that um so it, it definitely take care of the body please just clean up just <laughs> yeah and on. and it's just the the and it's all wrapped up in this well guys if we hose this like we could be on the line here we could be dead tossed out an airlock disappeared something like that so it it adds a different um flavor i think than what you would normally give well it's just a spec ops team and something um so i really enjoyed that to be fair if you look at it from an universe perspective the casual murders that these guys pre pre they participate in and involve in and orchestrate is exactly what all the uh the fears of the outer colonists had about the uh, about the NSE. No one yeah, ever yep. said the outer colonists were wrong. <laughs> I'm just saying. Yeah. yeah. This, this 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 little story comedically confirms a lot of the bad things about the spooky Oni organization. You know what I mean? That they, they literally have these devils that will go around and murder the yeah. f people. But to be fair, Mark never like intentionally killed anyone. The reporter was killed. Incidentally, when they were attacked by the ex Oni agent working for a private organization, yeah. So it's kind of it's, it's kind of a yeah. it's kind of a a wet work team crossed with a slight dash of Benny Hill. And when they're like, "Wait, yeah. I thought you did." Wait. <laughs> uh. yeah. Yep. So it was it was fun. Move, All right, on. move on. 
Okay. And then uh, next is Into the Fire, uh, which is another one of the stories I don't think is quite self-contained. No, it's, it's because a prologue, it's, but... it's Yeah, it's it's setting up uh, Kelly Gay's uh, upcoming Halo Smoke and Shadow. Um, but we get Halo, Halo Wars ties because we follow Rion, who turns out to be Forge's daughter. Um, and we return to... I, I groaned at that. I was like, oh, really? It's... I'm kind of optimized. It's really, to me... I could go either way with it. It's going to depend on what Smoke and Shadow does. Yeah. For what it was, like, for, for being a prologue, essentially, I felt Into the Fire was probably one of the better prologues in the collection. Mm-hmm. Like, I knew, I saw I, I, I saw it coming that she was going to be Forge's daughter, but I, I had a lot of fun of it. Part of it was definitely the fact that it, it felt very firefly yeah, she's like the she's like the rule sixty three Malcolm Reynolds in in this case, and so yeah, and it was it was nice to get um that. nice to get back to Venezia and just the whole milieu of uh, Covenant human working there. Uh, we get a slight um, follow up to events in Mortal Dictata. Sadly, nothing with Cholvan, who I still want to pop up eventually. We'll see if I'm ever ever satisfied or just disappointed. Despite the uh, the relationship thing, I actually quite like the story. So I'm actually looking forward to seeing how it plays out. Yeah, I'm just worried in case you get the whole Star Wars trope where everyone's related to everybody and all the stories <laughs> focus around the one or two families, you know what I mean? I don't no, think I, we'll I, have to I worry about that yet. <laughs> we got a ways to go before we hit that. Hopefully yet isn't actually foreshadowing anything, though. Rian's actually Luke Skywalker's daughter, and... Uh... <laughs> um... Oh my god. So after it comes uh, Saint's Testimony, which we talked about before. Um, the... Still think that's one of the best fucking Halo stories we've ever, t- we've ever been told, you know that? Yeah. And I think, it's I, that good. I think for all the people who argue about uh, Cortana turning evil inexplicably, that they really need to read that. And it kind of explains, without talking about Cortana directly, why <laughs> she would do what she does. I really do like it, and... Obviously, it was your preferred Frank O'Connor offering in this collection. Indeed. And then we get to, um, I think, this my tie for... I really love Defender of the Storm. Coming up right behind it, though, for me, is Ross Box World, which was written by Brian Reed, Halo 5 lead writer. Yep. This is probably one of his better... Yeah, this was a pretty decent contribution by him for, um, in terms of looking at his overall work. And... We talked about it before. I have to defend the end of this because he talked about how he talks about in one of the cannon fodder uh, updates, like prior to fractures coming out, how it would make for more interesting, excuse me, for more interesting discussion. Like if he didn't directly answer that question, um, and while that's not entirely untrue, I think it is. But I think it still is better that he do, that it we don't get a definitive answer. I think that would have ruined that particular story. Fun to be honest. Um, I do want to follow up at some point, but you know, it, it presented all these interesting ideas that they could explore. You know, does she just destroy all the AI? Does maybe she only save uh, BB and destroy the others? Or, and this is what I really hope ends up happening: does she interview them? And if they choose to go and join Cortana, she lets them go in a in an act of faith or in a show of faith, essentially. So, yeah, I appreciate it's. Because it's a following, it basically lets us know what happens to Osman, Black Box, and Lord Hood uh, right during the events of Halo 5. So they get off, and it's maybe in Halo 6 we'll run over to their, their place away from home and pick them up. Yeah. Stop, uh, Find them in their log cabin. Stop Lord Hood from <laughs> drinking himself to death. Um, but it's <laughs> very much a different view of those characters than what we got in Spartan Ops or the Kilo 5 trilogy because it's it's really Black Box and Osmond's relationship. And, yeah, she's she's left with this question of, I've got these really important AIs, like, but they might betray us. Like, do I destroy them? Do I destroy Black Box? Like, can I trust them? And I think that the ending where she's deciding whether or not and you don't know what she decides works because it lets you... It basically lets you decide what part of Osmond's character you think is what is fundamentally her. Is she fundamentally this person who's totally into the Oni Kool-Aid and is willing to do what it takes regardless of the cost? 
Um, or is she just the fact that she thinks about, well, do I, can I let these people go basically because they are, she treats the AIs as people. Like, do I let them join Cortana if they want? Like I can shoot them off and there's no risk to me. Um, it's definitely a, a side of her character that we haven't gotten because usually she's being the, the asshole that Oni <laughs> heads have to be. <laughs> I just hope that, uh, we get us and get a resolution to that because I think it's absolutely lazy. Well, here's the ending. Make it up. I can understand why people don't like it, but I think I think it was the better route to go, at least for now. If we never get any sort of fo- if we never get any sort of follow up, uh, follow up, I will agree with you in that regard. Yeah, and I think yeah. we will. Yeah, I hope we do because to be fair, leaving that open is just it's it's an insult to leave it open. It's it's like well, this is her character. This is a very important decision this character is going to make. Bye. All right, Danny. Like, I'm really? gonna, Danny, I'm going to point out that in this this podcast, you have now argued that mystery is bad and mystery is good. Damn right. <laughs> hey, 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 I want I'm the answers. No, don't give me the answers. <laughs> uh, there's certain things that you can have as mysteries. I don't think this is this is an artificial mystery that they set up and creates within the story itself. And I think a story needs a resolution. Yeah. It's one of those things that I'm fine with in the context of short stories because they get to play around with the rules of narrative a little more. I can yeah. I can understand your point about yeah. one in the ending, but I think it's... I just want resolution. You know, I, I really like resolution. They're fantastic sometimes. <laughs> okay. Give me a resolution. <laughs> Keyword in this, in your case, sometimes. <laughs> sometimes. Okay. Right. Uh, so then moving on, you've got Oasis, which is another... Um, this is... Uh, Tobias, yeah, this is another setup for yeah. uh, Tobias Buckel's uh, Halo Envoy, um, and so he, this was interesting because, on one hand, I don't feel like there's a lot in it. Like this is another thing that feels like it really is going to need its its novel tie-in to to feel whole. On the other hand, I am without a doubt Halo: The Cold Protocol is my least favorite Halo novel. Um, I've always felt that it is totally extraneous and like, there's just nothing I draw from it, even though it's supposedly, it's delving into gray team. It's delving into the early life of, of our favorite character here, our favorite captain, like keys. And I've just never really liked it. Um, and then dirt, I was kind of iffy on too, but I do think that this is probably my favorite, um, halo contribution he's given just that digs into we've gotten so much of the rest of this collection is the humans and elites kind of fumbling towards working together and this is just a story about no they can't sometimes people just hate each other too much yeah and i liked that it wasn't they didn't just say you know the humans are good and the elites are bad in this case which is kind of where you start from you know, because and you know, justifiably so from the point of view of that character. But then you meet uh, Jet, I think it was, or Jack. I I'm, I can't remember the character's name right now. Um, but you know, you meet him, and it's like, okay, here here we got our example of the good Sangheili. But then you meet the assholes that are trying to incite civil war, and it's like, okay, so the Sangheili aren't all good and all bad. And then at the very end, of course, you know, you get the kind of asshole militia that both saves their lives and then kills the the, the character's, you know, Sung he- new Sunghili friend. So, like, this very grayscale story, which I absolutely love. I really wish they didn't kill him at the end just because that's kind of, when we talk about, like, short stories, that's kind of what I expected to happen. Like, oh, I've learned something about you. You aren't so bad. No, I must die to further home the moral lesson. Um, like I can get that I can get what you're saying there, but I don't think that's how it really came across. At least for me, that's not how it came across. It came across as this, you know, like that I expected him to die, but that's because like I could, I knew that this group of humans was as uncompromising as that group of elites that we met in the city prior. So, mm-hmm. and then it's like you have you know you have this one human girl, and then you have this one elite that exemplify the ideal. So. Yeah, it's a little cliched in that regard, but it's still this very nice story with sh- with a lot of shades of gray. That I, that at least for me, it worked as a nice self-contained story. Like if I hadn't been told there's going to be a follow-up, I would say you know it's like I would say, oh, that's sad. There's no follow-up, but I liked. I still enjoyed this story for what it is. 
since there is a follow-up, I'm looking forward to that. Mm-hmm. Anything to add, Danny? We'll move along. I don't want to repeat some of the nice things <laughs> and added, uh, criticisms you guys brought up about the story. I I, I, I completely agree. Um, it's actually my favorite story from him as well, oh. like you said. So um, not much else to say about it. Okay. All right. So then uh, moving to the last official uh, story in the collection, Anna Rosa. Um, this is... This was another one of my favorites. Like it's, My two top favorites are going to be Promises to Keep and then Anna Rose. Yeah, and this is a Anna Rosa. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. and this is written by uh, another three four three regular uh, Kevin Grace. Has had a pretty pretty good history with per, his personal contributions. Mm-hmm. And uh, this basically, uh, I think a lot. The big takeaway a lot of people have taken from this is that they think it's following. Um, it goes into uh, something we've never seen before, which is how uh, Oni basically gets people to sign over their loved ones for smart AI creation. And I think the big takeaway a lot of people have been calling is um, that Anna Rosa, the person who's dead and that they're trying to get the brain for the AI is going to appear in her AI form in Halo Wars 2. I'm not sure if you buy into that or not, uh, Toa. Oh, yeah. I I came to that conclusion before posting about you know before it was being posted about all over the place i'd like to think that i actually uh perpetuated that at the start because i was like as soon as those discussion threads opened on our halo and our halo story I said okay here's my breakdown the important thing anna rosa is going to become isabel so i know other people came to that conclusion independently but i'd like to think i was one of the first posting about isabel so. being um the smart ai character is going to appear in halo wars yeah. too and I mean, yeah, and Kevin Grace is writing Halo Wars 2, uh, and the story of Anna Rosa is set in the right time frame that it works, that it could, that mm-hmm. she would be right at the right age by the setting of Halo Wars 2. So I think overall this was good. It's another one that gives us stuff from the AI point of view, so you get more of really embellishing what it's like for them and how it's different from a normal person. Um and just the just this, I don't think it's something that one of those stories I like because I never actually really thought about. Like, yeah, how do they get the the brains? Did they just they, how did? Yeah. So there's actually, and they they mention basically like, yeah, well, we could just steal this, but they're they're trying to they at least initially play it they're on the up and up. Yeah. Easily. Yeah. How much you want to bet though that Oni employees sign like sign their brains away when they when they sign off? <laughs> Probably just in case. Yeah. Um. Yeah, and so I liked it a lot as a uh, – this was definitely one that felt like a self-contained story that works well. And if that, that Halo Wars 2 connection works, it's a nice aha moment, um, but it doesn't change anything in this story. It's also a good and unique sort of story that I think that – it's a, it's a story that the Halo can tell. It's a story that, that you could only tell within Halo – because of the way we set up the universe, you know what I mean, and the way AIs work. Yeah, and so then actually at the final, that's Anna Rosa is the final story officially, but then at the very end there's an untitled and uncredited uh, story that um, so that doesn't have a name, obviously, uh, but it details basically what happens to the Isodidact and Chant to Green. Um, and I really liked it. It was the only... The only weird thing about this is basically the Isodidact and Chanda Green, which was once something I liked from Promises to Keep, is that they have this relationship, and they're both like, well, is it just grief, or because she's like the new life shaper, or whatever, um, and I really like the Didact, or is this something on our own, and they really come to the, the realization that, well, they like each other, um, separate from their roles, separate from who they are, and they basically end up raising their son on this random rock out somewhere to live out um everyone else is the rest gone of their days in naturally yeah and can, just... I just, can i just point out that uh, that's a terrible thing to do that poor guy is going to grow up his parents yeah, will die that's... he'll be alone yeah. in the middle of nowhere and hate his life. Some... there is something to say about that yeah, yeah that it's a beautiful story except when you realize like oh and you're leaving your son as the last of his species like with no contact unless they're going to do like an adam and eve thing yeah, it's that was the weird thing. And then some people were saying, well, they left the ship they came in, so I guess he could fly off. And it's like, yeah, but it seems like they just left it there to rot, so who knows it's going to be functional. Oh, it was still functional 
at, at the very least in that story. Yeah. So, and we we know Forerunner technology is incredibly resistant. I mean, the ship that he was that he was that or that particular ship was the Audacity, which at that point was already really really ten thousand yeah. years old, probably over ten thousand years old by the point at the very least by the time of. Uh, Promises to keep and pro- and then older, obviously, by the time uh, yeah. of that fight of the uncredited end story. Well, and so. and so yeah, leaving aside the the possible dark ending for the sun, I do think it's it seems like <laughs> it seems <laughs> like it does seem like this is probably the last we're going to get for Chantigreen and the Isodidact. Um, and I think that it was a, yeah. a fitting send off. They basically decide, all right, we're we're done with the AIs, we're done with the power armor, we're done with all our fancy stuff. We're just gonna. Live simply and tell he our sucks, son these son yeah, these yeah. these fables basically of of big big battles in space and stuff and it seemed it seemed like a really quiet ending that that fit the characters after all they've been through. Gotta agree, it was a nice cap to his particular journey. Yeah. The end of his great journey. Yes. <laughs> that was perfect Lonely timing, man. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Okay, so um, that's the end of Fractures. Um, I think we all went through and picked our, our favorites and least favorites. Um, anything else to end before we wrap it up? Just kind of a repeat of the story. You know, Evolutions overall is the better anthology series, but Fractures stands out on it for its own reasons, I think. Yeah. Um, it could have been better, but for what for what it is, I think it's still pretty good. Yeah, I thought it was an enjoyable romp. I can't imagine a, a Halo fan to pick up this book and be disappointed. You know, There's no way that would happen. Yeah, not a hundred. Like you could be disappointed with individual stories, as we've definitely heard. <laughs> but yes. um, I think overall, yeah, it's uh, you're good. Everyone's going to be able to find at least something they love in here, for sure. All right. Well, thank you, Toa, for coming on and arguing with Danny for it's been me. An absolute. Pl- <laughs> it has been an absolute pleasure. Yeah. Uh, and you can uh, subscribe to this via iTunes or check this out on YouTube at youtube.com forward dawn. Uh, we'll also have show notes at forwardontodawn.com. Uh, we'll put links uh, to the stuff we've talked about to Toa's uh, channel, Halo Canon. Uh, thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.